to Next Steps with me, your host, Natalie Morris. Today, as always, you can expect another guest, as well as a few life updates, our topic for the day, which is teaching in an inner city place, and a brief glance into what's going to happen next time. Thank you so much for sticking in there with me while this podcast is a little bit late. I think you're going to love hearing what we have to say. And I'd love to introduce my guest, Lauren Rowan, someone I've known since high school. We were actually in a clarinet quartet together, so I'm super excited to reconnect with her. Lauren, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. Uh, like you said, I'm Lauren. Um, I play clarinet. Uh, we played in high school together. It was awesome. We both studied from the same professor, Dr. Wesley Ferreira. Um, and I have gone on to continue my music at Indiana University. Um, I spent the last three and a half years studying with Howard Klug over there. Um, and now I have finished up my coursework. I'm on to student teaching um, and kind of continuing on with, with the journey. So, so yeah, this is very exciting. I love it. It's so awesome to see, see each other because it's, it's so great. Currently, Lauren and I are conversing over Zoom, so so it's fantastic. But tell us a little about where you're from and, and maybe what some of your hobbies and interests are. Yeah, totally. So I am from Fort Collins, Colorado, where CSU is. Go Rams. <laughs> <laughs> and um, let's see. I mean, I like doing a lot of things. Obviously, I'm from Colorado, so I like being outside a lot. I like doing a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, I also have, you know, become a little bit addicted to the gym. I do a little bodybuilding, might be competing in my first show this next year. We'll see. We'll see. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also just a music geek all around. I, um, One of my passions is like curating playlists, listening to music. So I really love to just kind of explore music and geek out about it. So this is right up my alley. <laughs> oh my goodness, so cool. You'll have to share one of those playlists with us and then I can post it on our Instagram and then our followers can listen. <laughs> totally. I would love to. Well, thank you so much for being here, Lauren. I'm so excited for our podcast today. Same. Same. Thanks for having me. So a little bit about our life updates. I have moved out of my apartment up in Fort Collins. So I relocated to Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is about two hours south of there. And that's where I'm from. So when I was in high school in the quartet with Lauren, I would drive up to Fort Collins and come back. And honestly, it was such a fun experience, but it was, it was a drive. I got all my permit hours that way. <laughs> I remember that. That was such a long drive for you. But anyway, I've moved back home um, and I'm living with my family here in Colorado Springs and I'm preparing for student teaching, which is next semester. And I start on January 3rd. So the very beginning of January, I'll be in a school down here teaching middle school. And I recently found out I'll be for most of the day at the middle school there, but for two hours each day, I get to go up to the high school, which is really close and observe their classes there, which I am so excited about because I really waffled trying to decide whether I would teach at a middle school or a high school. But I, so now I'm really, really excited that the place I chose allows me to do both. Can I ask why, what was your toss up between middle school and high school? Yeah. So I really think I could be a great high school teacher, and I think there needs to be more female representation in high school programs, especially good programs. And I'm not saying that, like, I'll jump into a program and make it good immediately, but I am saying, that, you know, I think women need to be represented more in this field. So I really feel like I could do great, especially with the age group and everything that they go through. I really connect with that. But this middle school teacher that I'm student teaching with 
is such a standard here in Colorado. Like he is fantastic and he's a great mentor, a great teacher. So I really waffled between, you know, middle school and high school, just based on my passion for high school, but also how much knowledge I could gain from this amazing mentor teacher that I could have. So in the end, I decided to go with the middle school, not knowing that I would also get the opportunity to work with a high school teacher. So, so excited. Yeah. Great experience. Honestly. Yeah. And so I, I see that you're back in Fort Collins too, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. So I just moved back. Um, well, I'm not moved back, but I'm home for break. Um, and I just moved out of my place in Bloomington. So yeah, I'm, I'm in a similar boat. Um, but I, I will be moving to Chicago on the first. Wow. So yes, I, I'm, I've got a place in Chicago. I've already kind of scoped it out, but now it's a matter of finally getting in the classroom, finally doing the student teaching that we've been talking about for the last three and a half years. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Was that a really strange experience to move out of your apartment and and look for somewhere else in Chicago? Like, is all of your stuff in Chicago right now or do you still have to move your items to there? So it's a little 50-50 at the moment. I I drove home from Indiana, so it was a whole journey. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) But no, I, I drove to Chicago first. I left some of my belongings at my aunt's house who lives in Chicago. And then um, I brought home my clothes and stuff like that. So I'll have to bring my clothes out. But I am staying at an Airbnb. So luckily, I don't have to bring, you know, the full works of an apartment. Yeah, that's great. And is your student teaching placement, how long is it? Is it for a whole semester or? Yeah, yeah. So it'll be the full semester. In fact, CPS, their semesters are really, really long. Um, I don't think they finish until like June something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I get to finish when IU finishes, but it will be the full extent that IU's semester is. Sure. Yeah. That's kind of the same thing. We have two eight-week placements. So we'll do one in secondary schools and one in elementary school. Um, So, but we, we are done technically with those placements once we've fulfilled those eight-week markers or by the time the graduation comes along. So, I will have like two weeks there where I'm usually doing things and I'm not doing things, but I guess that'll just help with the job search. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm glad to see that you're, you're home for the holidays and happy holidays to you and yours. I'm so excited. <laughs> I have something fun to share with you all and I'll just have to post a picture on the Instagram page because this is a podcast and no one can see us, but I just got a new plant today. It's a ZZ plant. I haven't named it yet, but I'm super excited about it. And so now I have a total of three plants and I'm very excited to add to my collection here. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> I am a plant person. They're lots of fun. Plants are the best decoration. Yes. So much joy. <laughs> okay. So Lauren, I'm so excited to ask you this question because it can be interpreted in so many different ways, but it is the question I ask everybody who's a guest here. Where are your next steps taking you? So that to me is kind of a loaded question because as you likely know, being a senior in college, you think that you're supposed to have it figured out by now, but you do not. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm really, really excited to student teach because I think that's going to tell me a lot about what where I'm going to end up and what mm-hmm. these next steps are going to lead me to. Um, but at the moment, I'm kind of in a, a weird in-between of deciding what I want to be doing. So I'm 
really, really passionate about teaching. I would love to teach. I'd love to be teaching. I mean, potentially high school orchestra would be really awesome. I would also be open to band. I'm not totally sold on leading marching bands, so we'll see about that. (laughs) (laughs) I completely understand that. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see about band, but for sure orchestra is one of one of my aspirations. Um, but I also am really interested in, in pursuing playlist curation and music editorial work. So it'd be really cool to see if both of those passions can fit together. I think that there's a lot of room for um, the consumption and, and enjoyment of music to be worked into pedagogical spaces for students. Um, so I think that there's a way to make those two things work together, but that's kind of where I'm headed. That's so cool. What does what does editorial work and, you know, playlist curation look like? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that, you know, area of music. Yeah. So, and I wasn't either. I didn't really know that that was a field of work that you could be in until this year. Um, But basically you make playlists. Like um, what I really like is working for Spotify. That would be an absolute dream of mine um, is working for them, making playlists, doing like their fresh finds playlists um and and finding sort of looking at people's music tastes curating music that they might be interested in based on what they already do listen to um and then there's more commercial sides of that where like let's say you're walking around target and there's a playlist in the background somebody made that playlist and so um you can kind of do it for large businesses and organizations i mean there's also um soundtrack management type work that's really similar and that's making playlists or set lists for TV shows, movies. So, yeah. That's so interesting. You know, my brain always thought that Spotify created all those unique playlists just based on an algorithm. So it's interesting that I'm sure there's people who operate that way, like some music streaming services probably do, but I didn't even know that positions like that were available. But now that you say it, it makes so much sense. (laughs) And some of them are made by algorithms, but there are some that are curated by people. So... It's kind of a healthy mix of both. Wow, so cool. Do you know like how you would get your foot in the door into that type of career? That is a great question. (laughs) What I'm actively pursuing and looking at. I was looking at internships working for Spotify, but none of them really kind of fit the bill. A lot of it's focused on marketing and computer coding type stuff. Um, But it does seem like, you know, there is no degree in playlist curation there is no degree in music listening so um as far as i know there's the best qualifications you can have are just being involved with music involved with artists listening a lot going to a lot of shows and i mean that's what i do so i'm just yeah. kind of i'm just gonna keep following that and and trying to get involved in the music industry and see if that can lead me the right way yeah that's so cool and just before we were recording this um you told me about a festival you were going to over winter break what was that called again called Decadence. So it's a two-day music festival over New Year's, um, and it's in Denver. It's a whole bunch of EDM artists. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. That's so cool. You know, actually, one of my relatives got a music business degree, and I think right now she's just going around and trying to represent some some groups, but I don't know how, you know, helpful that would be. But I think you're exactly right. It's kind of like how in groups, you know, in professional orchestras or in bands, you they don't judge you based off how many like performance degrees you have. It's just how well you can play. So it's the same thing with this is, you know, you're listening and you're getting acquainted with music and these different artists. And it's not based off of 
whatever degree you might have, but your involvement in the music. I think that's so important to note for all different types of musicians. Yeah. And I think passion leads with anything for, for the arts, I think. You know, if you have the passion and the motivation, whether or not you have um, the specific skill set that fits a, a niche, you certainly have the potential to be really successful and create your own avenue to find success in the music industry. I mean, with the arts, really, the, the possibilities are infinite. So it's just a matter of trying to create your own opportunities and, and relying on network a lot. Yeah, network is such an important thing, I've noticed, in the music industry, especially, not even for, you know, just artists trying to get represented by a, a label or something like that. But even for us as music education students, our network and who we know, people do talk and they talk good or bad, depending on how you've represented yourself. So it's yeah. it's really blown my mind how many things have come back. For example, the high school that I'm going to be student teaching or visiting during my student teaching, the director has known me from since high school because my director was really close with, with her. So she knows me. I sent an introduction email to her a few days ago and she said, I think I remember you from your high school days with Mrs. Debbie Baker. And I was like, yes, that's me. <laughs> so it's a good thing that I represented myself well in high school now that I'm, you know, what, eight years down the road? Yeah. Yeah. And when I met my um, student teaching placement, uh, court cooperating professors or teachers, um, the, the folks over at the high school that I'm teaching at at Lincoln Park High School, the orchestra director happens to know the person that was teaching me cello uh, my junior year. So I was taking cello lessons and violin lessons as part of my degree. And uh, the orchestra director over at that high school just happens to know her. They went to their undergrad together. So it's just kind of crazy, these these connections that develop. Absolutely. It really does. And there's a saying that goes around in my university that whenever you step into a school, that's your job interview. And it is so true, because if, if you step into a school and you just behave poorly and you don't serve the students well, then that's going to get around and people are going to know that. So it's it's really an interesting thing to go out of, go through life thinking like everything I do is part of a job interview. But if that floats your boat. <laughs> yeah, it's intimidating, but also, I mean, it lights a fire under you. It makes you motivated to work hard because, I mean, we are paying an awful lot of money after all to be getting this degree. So it makes a lot of sense that you'd want to invest yourself and put your best foot forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to circle back to something you said earlier. You said you are really interested in, you know, that was one side of it, you know, kind of curating playlists and things like that. And the other side of it was teaching orchestra at a high school level. And yeah. since you moved from, you know, Fort Collins, Colorado, all the way out to Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know where, you know, in the U.S. or maybe even in the world you'd like to teach high school if that's the direction you're going to pursue? Yeah, well, I don't know exactly where, but I have an idea of an environment that I would like. Um, and that is a, a huge reason why I chose to do my student teaching at CPS. It was actually a program that we signed up for. So typically you would just get put into a school in Indiana somewhere, and that would be decided for you by the music education faculty. However, they offer an alternative option called the Global Gateways Program, and that allows you to do your student teaching in some different environments. Um, So one of the options was to teach on a Navajo reservation. One of them was to teach in Chicago, in the Chicago Public Schools. And then there was an option of like 20 other countries abroad that you could go teach in. Wow, Um, really abroad options? 
Yes. And, and those were really interesting to me, but ultimately I decided not to do them because I couldn't effectively teach in a country where I didn't speak their language. So I wanted to pick, if it was going to be anything, an English-speaking country. Um, but most of those are very Western colonial kind of countries, and they don't have the same sort of diversity that we have in America. They don't have the same um, educational system that we do. So I didn't think that if I was to do those programs, I would be doing it for the right reasons. Mm. If I had signed up to go abroad, I think I likely would have been doing it just to go abroad, not because I felt that I was going to get the most out of that. Interesting. That's that's incredible. There's there's so many differences between my student teaching experience, even up to just this point, and and yours. For example, we are encouraged to teach in Colorado, but I actually Marcus, one of my previous podcast guests, so you know my my podcast listeners will recognize him. Um, he is one of our music education students, and he is going back to his hometown um, or home state of Texas to, to do student teaching. Um, but we are encouraged to reach out, and we personally have to make our own connections with the teachers in the field and find like our top three options for our secondary placement and our top three options for our elementary placement. And then from there, we submit you know, our wish list, basically, and then we get placed by our student teaching placement coordinator. So it's a lot different, but man, that's such an awesome experience to, to get into a really different scenario. And I can think of probably at least three people that would be jumping on that, you know, abroad option. How cool is that? I have a friend of mine who he's student teaching in Germany next year. Um, and he grew up in Germany. So for him, like, that's perfect. He knows wow. the, the culture, he knows the language, it's going to be probably an, an amazing fit for him. Um, and I'm so excited for him that he's doing that. But the reason that that stood out to me was because um, there's a focus in the program on social justice, on diversity, and on community service. So that's going to be a component of what I do while I'm there is community service, and um, in particular, working with the students and developing those relationships outside of school. And that is ultimately kind of the environment that I see myself in is more city-urban environments, um, because um, I kind of touched on this, but like a huge piece of my interest in and my philosophy around pedagogy is um, diversity and inclusion. I actually had a job on campus for two years where I taught exclusively on social justice and diversity, and I had educational workshops where I talked about that. Um, and so that's become pretty much embedded in my own personal philosophy on teaching. Um, and I couldn't really see myself ever teaching and not focusing on those topics. So I feel like that's really, really relevant for city environments because students there are far more diverse. They're coming from far different backgrounds than your more homogenous rural environments. And a lot of what we get in our music education in college focuses on suburban environments that are usually more well-funded, a little bit more homogenous, and culturally maybe a little bit more similar to what I've experienced. So it's a really great stretch outside of my boundaries and and pushing me to kind of make my team fit for more students than those who have come from similar backgrounds as me. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important thing because not everyone is going to be exactly like you. Even in life, I feel that that is a thing we should really focus on and acknowledge is that 
we are not all the same and we have different beliefs and different opinions. And this is just so exciting. And you know what? It leads right into our topic for today, which is, you know, teaching in the inner city setting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we, we were exchanging some text messages a few weeks back and you told me a little bit about how you'd taken this was it a year long course on all the things that are involved in in the inner city setting. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, as part of the program, I did have to do some coursework and it was about four degrees uh, or four credits of undergrad and two credits of master's credit, which is really cool. Um, and we basically once a month would have kind of a new prompt or focus. So we would be talking about anything from redlining to homelessness to, um, you know, systemic oppression through environmental racism or sexism, misogyny, xenophobia. How do all these issues relate to the environments that we're teaching in? Um, Because in particular in cities, it's kind of unavoidable to talk about these things you have to be really aware of the social undercurrents that lie in these city environments. And that really does define how you are going to interact with the student body. Um, If you were to ignore the fact that these students are maybe dealing with issues like redlining or being removed um, from their properties due to gentrification, or let's say their parents maybe are immigrants and they're being they're going through the process of maybe trying to get their green card or become legal citizens. Like that is a lot that's going on. And if you were to ignore all that, then there's no way that you could effectively teach those students. Um, We talk about it a lot in music education. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, well, definitely we in the CSU music education have not gone as in depth as I'm assuming you have. It is something that we talk about in terms of knowing each student. And you talked a little bit about building a relationship with them and how that is so important to really to reach them and to show them that you really care. And I think especially in our day and age, um, if you didn't know recently, I think the Surgeon General of the United States issued a statement about how this is the worst that youth mental health has ever been in our country. Um, it is so important to connect with all the students that we come in contact with and to understand the things that they're going up against and kind of be champions for them, you know, because young people are are amazing and they can do amazing things. But sometimes when they don't have support, it really crushes them. So we as teachers love to, or at least I believe that we should fill that spot in supporting them and telling them that, you know, they matter and we care and that you are worth it. Totally. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from meeting students where they're at. You know, um, like you said, you have to you have to build that relationship with a student. And um, you know, we have this conversation a lot around diversity education. Of oh, you know, you don't want to be colorblind or you don't want to ignore differences. And and that's so relevant, especially to teaching um, and especially music education. If I picked only pieces by white male composers in a classroom that maybe had For example, hypothetically, if I had three white students in my class and I only picked composers that were old white men, you know, how would the rest of those students feel represented or in any way valued in that classroom? They have to see themselves reflected in the curriculum in order to know that they have a spot in the music world. Absolutely. Absolutely. You just mentioned the amount of diversity that could be in your classroom What can you say about the student populations that you might experience in the Chicago public school system or the CPS as we've been talking about it? Yeah, and I actually am not sure what my school environment is going to look like 
Um, it, it really could be anything for all I know. It could, you know, be predominantly white, like the school that I came from, but it could also be extremely diverse. Um, I'm assuming that because it's Chicago, it's probably going to be a more diverse environment. Um, and, and I mean that in all forms and fashions. So um, all sorts of racial, ethnic identities, um, immigration status, nationality, gender identity, all of these different factors, I, I really do presume that being in a city means that you're going to get a broader array of people and backgrounds. Um, so I certainly one of the main factors is um, socioeconomic status. That'll probably be one of the more relevant factors um, because that does impact so much how much students can engage in and outside of the classroom and um, their performance because um, you know, one thing that I think about a lot is, you know, if I was a student and I didn't know where my next meal was coming from, I don't think I would care so much if I was singing the right rhythms, you know? Absolutely. Those, those are the kind of things that um, become really, really relevant when you're dealing with a wide range of backgrounds. So we talked a little bit about, before we recorded this podcast this morning, um, the differences between the suburban environment and the city environment. And you've talked a little bit about the student populations and the things they could be going through and all the diversity that is there. I noticed you also mentioned something before we were recording about, you know, the politics and the organization that goes into inner city teaching and things like that. Could you speak more on that? Yeah. So, I mean, really what stands out is just sheer size. So when you're dealing with a suburban environment, you might have a school board that oversees let's say four major public schools, like four major public high schools or something like that. So overall, they may be working with a network of perhaps 20 schools or something like that. Yeah, and that's exactly how it is in Fort Collins. Currently, there are four major high schools there. I believe they're building one more um, towards the east side of Fort Collins. And something that's actually kind of interesting is I did a practicum at Lawrence High School this mm -hmm. past semester. So yeah. it was it was kind of fun to be part of that. But I've worked with two now out of the four major high schools there. So it is mo much different than than I've personally experienced as well. Yeah. And so, and so once you go to a city environment, you might be dealing with hundreds of schools. You're talking about a huge quantity of schools that have to be overseen by some sort of ruling body which usually means that there's going to be a lot of dissent within those environments because not everybody will be satisfied by the decisions that are made. And also in Illinois, it's a little relevant that um, historically they've had a very difficult time managing the funding for schools and for their education system. So that has been a huge um, point of concern in, in Illinois. What has that led to all the financial problems what does that look like do you know anything about like the teacher pay there or how how they respond to that no I don't I'm certainly not as well versed as I probably should be um <laughs> but I'm about to become very well experienced <laughs> but what I do know is that the union in the in Chicago public schools is huge so the teachers have a union um that they have formed together basically to get bargaining power because it is such a huge school system. Um, and so, you know, everybody has different thoughts on, on whether or not the union has made correct decisions historically. Um, and this may be one of the first years in quite some time without a strike. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. Um, but it, it certainly has led to um, 
it, it makes it challenging to get funding. And in Chicago, because students kind of, there's a little bit of a, a raffle for what school you go to. So students hmm. can try to school of choice into a school that they want. Um, and these can be private schools, they can be charter schools, public schools. And um, generally, students are not trying to go to their own local public school, particularly in the lower income areas of the town. Um, and so it, it has created kind of a complex network that right now doesn't totally work for the students because a lot of them are having to make these drastic changes and big leaps to try to get a decent quality education at a school where they feel safe and where they feel like they can really be successful um, in some of the local schools that like the neighborhood schools that a lot of kids would be normally just kind of right into. Um, those are not always the best options for those students. And it is important to note that it's usually um, along the lines of an Along the Sorry, our connection broke up a little bit. Um, it's important to note, it's usually along the lines of, of what again? Uh, race and ethnicity as well as socioeconomic status because redlining and kind of our own segregation that exists today, which is actually worse than it was in the 1950s, um, but is still very relevant in Chicago. And so um, you're, you're seeing that students of color, students that are lower income are going, being filed into these neighborhood schools that are not offering as quality of an education as these richer areas of Chicago. Um, and those students have to jump through quite a lot of hoops to try to get into these quote unquote better schools. Absolutely. Something that I'm noticing just as you're talking about all of the situations that are involved is all of your speech is very student focused. And that is so <laughs> exciting to me. I know um, there's lots of different perspectives to take on education. And I think it's great that we're training training teachers to go out there and be so focused on what the students need. So uh, kudos to you and, and your program for training you to really think about what's best for the students. That's great. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why we think education, right? I mean, I, well, I mean, I know that there are teachers that like to hear themselves talk and that's why they've chosen <laughs> the profession. I mean, really, I, I think I speak for you and I both when it's you know you can really have a great impact on students and that there is a lot of potential to really, really help some students achieve their own um, goals, whether that's music or not. Music can just be something to support them in their other pursuits, but certainly that's the focus. Absolutely. A big part of my personal teaching philosophy is to teach life skills through music. And I feel like there's a bit of, of a debate, quite honestly, about that philosophy, because there's so many people who are, who are advocating for music for music's sake. And I do believe that there is a strong reason to do that just for music's sake. But I also believe that music is a great opportunity to teach students about how to live a very good life, such as, you know, enjoying music, finding things you enjoy, or being part of something bigger than yourself and having a little bit of re more responsibility towards that um, group. And there's even chances for leadership, too. So, yeah, I, I do believe that students don't necessarily have to choose music as their one and only life purpose and goal. But I think music does serve many different purposes in life. And that should be something that is explored and celebrated. Absolutely. And that's also a huge part of my philosophy as well. Um, that's why I'm so passionate about diversity education. Like, I, I've always said that 
school should be preparing you for the real world and should be getting the skills that you need from school to be successful functioning adults. Um, and part of that to me is diversity and inclusion and being able to have literacy in, in these conversations. I think that they're incredibly relevant today, particularly in America, because we are a very diverse country. Um, and if you don't have the tools to speak about identity and about difference, if you can't have productive conversations in that regard, um, then you're not prepared to enter the real world. You're not prepared to enter a workforce where you're going to be dealing with people with different backgrounds and ideas. Um, and whether or not you agree or disagree with anything, you have to be able to have that respect and the ability to listen and communicate effectively. Uh, and I think music can teach that, and I think it's a space that absolutely needs to include those conversations. Absolutely. Yes. And you talked just a little bit about when we got into that conversation about our philosophies, you talked about how it's important to teach the skills that are needed. And one of the things that brought up for me was, you know, the idea of your pedagogy and how you incorporate that into, you know, your own ideas. And before we had actually started recording this podcast, you mentioned that you think there's almost a pedagogy pedagogy shift going into the inner city schools. What are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the reason that that seems relevant to me, particularly with the school environment, again, is because you're dealing with different backgrounds of students. Um, and part of that is that they're being exposed to completely different musics and um, styles of, of music where they're living and where their families um, listen to. So um, if you have students that are, their families are immigrants, maybe they're first generation, whatever musical background their parents are coming from is incredibly relevant to their identity. Um, and I also think that music is shifting away from Western classical, if I'm being honest. I think that's um, the reality of the situation, which is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of us musicians, because that is what we have predicated our entire musical career on. But I think if we're being realistic, um, people don't listen to that music anymore. Um, so it has to shift, it has to adapt to the times. And so I don't think it's necessarily um, effective to continue trying to teach just classical music to beginning music students. Um, and in these city environments where they're being exposed to so many different types of music, where they have so many different backgrounds in terms of their music identity, I think that the music curriculum needs to reflect that. So an idea I've had, if I could have a program any way I wanted, um, I would have maybe one large ensemble, but then I would have a bunch of smaller ensembles that better suit the interests of students. So that might be a jazz combo, might be a mariachi band, might be some chamber groups, might be a music production class, um, all sorts of different things, a music pre appreciation class, who knows? But giving students the, the tools to be successful in whatever music most interests them, um, I don't think it's necessarily fair to grade students on their success in music on one standard that is through the scope of Western classical music. I don't think that that really defines good music making. This is so interesting to me because our professors at CSU have really been telling us about how the, the trends are moving away from the general large ensemble things. And it's really refreshing to hear your, your take on it as it's such a thing that, that it can be molded, you mm -hmm. know, to reach all of your students. Right. Well, and part of the reason that large ensembles are still so popular for music education is because 
it's probably the simplest way to deliver music education to the most people. Um, if you have three large ensembles for three different skill sets, it's pretty easy to kind of give each group their own area of focus and to kind of work with a large group all at once. Um, it is a lot more work to break it down into smaller groups and to become well-versed in many different styles of music so that you can be effective for those students. And I think that's one of the challenging and almost scary parts about the idea of separate classes that, you know, appeal to many different types of students is, you know, I'm not rooted, my training is not rooted in mariachi band or, you know, EDM even. I know practically nothing <laughs> about that style of music. So it is it is very frightening in a way to think about hosting a classroom about this that I really don't know a lot about. Right. And it's been um, really encouraging because I've had the opportunity throughout the course of this degree to um, speak with a lot of music educators from across the country who were in a similar position of, okay, I have no idea how to teach jazz. I don't know anything about jazz. How am I going to create an effective jazz program for my students? Because to me, that's important that they have that. And I think it goes back to that idea. If you have the passion, you'll find a way. Um, and so I think, you know, really just investing the time using those resources. What's great is that we just went to college with a bunch of music educators. We know jazz musicians. We know folk musicians. We know all these different types of musicians now. And so now when we're in classrooms, we can be like, hey, how do I get my lead trumpets to hit that high A? How, how do I get them to hit that, you know? Um, and so you can use these people now as much as possible. And frankly, that is the work of being a music educator is committing yourself to doing that. And if you are really student focused, um, it's probably fulfilling to go through that process and to learn with them. All you, when, I think it was, um, I cannot remember who, but somebody said, all you have to do is stay one step ahead of the students. So if you're teaching them violin and we're on A string today, okay, well, tomorrow you got to be able to do one, two, and three, first tetrachord on that A string. <laughs> <laughs> so just staying one step ahead, learn with the students. I mean, I think that it's doable, um, but it is a daunting task. Absolutely. And that's where I think being a lifelong learner really comes in handy. And we talk a lot about that at, in our music education degree is you know, you're not going to know everything when you graduate. And for a lot of people, for me and for folks like me, that's a scary thing is you want to go out into the world knowing all the things that you need to know and prepared to deliver it all to the students and in great ways that are going to keep them engaged. But in reality, you're not going to know everything there is right. to know. So being that lifelong learner and, you know, whether that looks like you're staying one step ahead of the students or whether that looks like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to delve into this and, and learn it at a deeper level. I think it's so important to be that good teacher that you really want to be. Right, right. And, and truly, it, it is just a matter of being transparent. I mean, I think that students so appreciate it when you say, hey, listen, I'm learning this too. I'm doing my best. I know I'm not an expert, but we're learning it together. And, and I think that that's so refreshing because I know I've had teachers in the past that pretend to know it all. And when it came to clarinet, I was like, don't pretend. Don't <laughs> just tell me you don't know it and it's fine because listen I don't know anything about you know conducting or I don't know anything about what you're doing up there but as long as we're just trying to help each other out I think you know we'll be fine <laughs> yeah 
sometimes I wish that's um, how the world worked, you know, <laughs> is more people are just honest and, and real. And I think that's one of my traits as a person. I, I try to be very genuine and I feel like that's going to serve me well in the future because um, you do have you have to have a certain amount of genuine and real presentation because students won't listen to someone who's just fake. No, no. And students are the first to sniff that out. They know when you're being disingenuous. They can see right through that. Yeah, they are. They're really good at that. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have one more question for you um, before we kind of wrap up our topic here. I thought about this and it came when you were talking about all those small ensembles. How do you think your mindset as an educator has shifted throughout your undergraduate degree? Because, you know, you came from a program that really did focus on those large ensembles. And I know that there's some chamber groups at Rocky and all the things um, but it seems that you're so focused on these these wonderful small groups. And what do you think has changed for you or what has what has grown more in your mind or your philosophy? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's just reinforcement of a lot of things I was already thinking before going into this program. Um, but now I've had a, a chance to articulate these thoughts and to kind of create my own action plan. Um, for me, I guess it, it does keep going back to that point of like student inclusion. Um, and that has really been the biggest point of focus and growth throughout this degree is focusing on how can you help the students the most, regardless of background, regardless of identity. Um, and also, I think, how can you make that relevant to the experience students have today? And that's why I think the small ensembles are relevant. Um, that's why I think that having kind of an inclusive music classroom is relevant, one that's not just structured playing all the time one that's not focused on necessarily festivals and competitions, but that's focused on creating productive humans um, that can go out into the world and do great things. But I, I think that, you know, music right now, the way that it's structured in classrooms has a very kind of, um, it's, it's very structural and hierarchical almost, like it's been decided by some sort of music education gods that this is what a music classroom looks like. <laughs> forgotten that music is this very expressive thing that you can't analyze and pick apart and decide what is good and what is bad art it's very subjective um and so I think that kind of going back and reevaluating if I was to start over with music how would I want to be introduced to it how would I want to express and explore in those spaces and to me part of that is so much more improvisation so much more exploratory playing different instruments, different styles, working with people, gigging, jamming, like that type of stuff, like what what music really comes back to, you know? Wow, that's so cool. I really love the perspective of thinking, you know, if I was starting over again, what would I like? And I'm so excited for your future students. They're going to be so excited to be part of music and so excited to be in your classroom because that's going to be so much fun. Like, can I come and be a student for like a week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but that was that's been part of the the biggest challenge for me in my undergrad is that um I, I would say that not all good musicians can survive music school because you have to be really okay with not getting a lot of say in the music and and that could be more my experience than everybody's but um there's a lot of rules and and um guidelines you have to follow expectations of what's true to a composer or a style um, and you don't always get a lot of agency in how you represent this art. Um, and you also don't always get the most agency in what kind of art you're playing. 
Um, and so that's been a challenge to me and I wouldn't want to create that for my students. Yeah. You know, I think the most freedom that I had with choosing what it was I performed was for my senior recital. Um, that was a really, a really great time for me. And I really chose the pieces I played based off of the things I'd enjoyed listening to and the, what it made me feel as a person and as a musician. And I, I got to listen to Lauren's recital and oh my goodness, it was, it was so amazing. And you talked a little bit about the pieces you chose in our, in our text exchanges, you know, after that. And I thought it was all of the things that she chose were, were so wonderful and just so representative of the things that you believe as an educator. It was, it really blew my mind away, honestly. Yeah, that was a fun conversation. Um, we actually just in one of my classes had a discussion about one of my professors. He says, you know, we talk all the time in these classes about picking diverse pieces, diverse composers. Um, and then I see all of your recital programs and it's the same people. So, so what's the deal with that? Like, are you not getting to choose the people that you play? Are you not getting much say? Um, why is that? And a lot of the people in my class were saying, no, I don't really get to pick. My professor gets to pick what I play. Um, and I said, well, the only reason I had pieces that were from underrepresented composers is because I did not have a conversation. I said, I will be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you just got to put your foot down, you know? I, I said, this is something that I'm adamant on and it's my senior recital. So that's what I'll be doing. Um, and it was enormously challenging because one thing I didn't think about is that normally we are assigned um, collaborative pianists who play with us. And since usually people pick music from the standard repertoire, it's not terribly difficult to mm. put that pianist. Whereas in my case, my collaborative pianist had to learn completely new repertoire that they had never seen before that was incredibly challenging. She was a master's student and had told me that the music she was playing for my recital was harder than her own recital pieces. Um, and then we also had, you know, coaches who had never seen the music before. So it was immensely difficult to put it all together because it is not usually brought into the fold of what we're playing. Um, and so not only is it difficult to find the pieces, but it's it's difficult to perform them because you don't hear them. So it's a lot of work. Wow. That's, you know, something I hadn't thought about before was the challenges. And that's just incredible. And it, I'm so excited now because I know you're going to be the type of teacher who, who wants to reach out and wants to really understand. And that's going to be really awesome. Yeah. 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 I hope to keep, keep going and finding more great composers, more great works out there because they are out there. It's just a matter of, of being able to know where to look. It's true. Yeah. Well, we'll have to share resources as we get get through to that point. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being here on this podcast. I've really enjoyed reconnecting and talking about all of these music ed things. I'm so excited to see where you go. Thank you. It's been so great being on here. And everyone, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please like subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. I'd love to reach more people who are interested in music. Don't forget that you can leave a voice message for us at the link in the episode description. It'll take you to a webpage that'll allow you to send us a message. You're welcome to leave us feedback, advice, or any comments you have for the show. Remember, if you're listening on Spotify, you can now rate this podcast 
So take a look at that and give us some stars. Other than that, next week or the next time we record here, you can expect two podcast guests, which will be a first, but from now on you may hear them on Zoom. So we'll be working to ensure that the audio quality is the best we can do. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.